0: worker of yours.
1: Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the final inspection show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. Now... Here's your host, Steve Saki.
2: Welcome to another edition of the Final Inspection Show. I'm Steve Zatke, along with my trusty sidekick, the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski. How you doing today, Jeff?
3: Oh, fantastic, Steve. Ready to, uh, to talk some racing fuel and fumes and all that. Well, would, just what would you like
2: to talk about?
3: Well, you know, we got the playoffs starting in, uh, in the Cup Series.
2: It, yeah, I want to talk about that. Now, I always like to talk to or get feedback from the casual fan, because I feel that's a little more important than your diehard fan. Because your diehard fan's gonna be there and knows what's going on, follows the sport. It would be like, um, you know, Tim Allen talking baseball, right? That's his. That's right in his, you know, strike zone. Boom, uh, and he knows a little bit about he knows football. He knows a little bit about NASCAR. So, you know, when you talk to Tim Allen about NASCAR, it's kind of good to get his opinion because he's like the casual fan. He's kind of on the periphery. And the same thing when I'm at work or talking and about, I like to talk to fans of, oh, here's, here's Steve, or they know I'm into racing, or, and they'll talk. And But I've yet to have somebody go, oh, I'm so glad that so-and-so is in the playoffs. Right. I don't get any any feedback from anybody on the playoffs itself. Have you? Do you talk to? I mean, have you heard? Even, even on the social media stuff. Now that can be a little bit biased to who you follow, who you're friends with, this and that. I understand that, but I don't. I don't get like, oh boy, I, I really hope you know so and so does well in the playoffs, or so and so makes the playoffs, this, that, or the other thing. I just don't feel that the fan base in general has really embraced it. And I'm, I'm not talking, like I said, I'm not talking about the hardcore fans. The guys who have the numbers on the back windshield and all that stuff. I'm t- t- talking about, you know, your casual fans. The guys who's a uh, – let's see, should I should – let's see, should I watch golf or NASCAR? I gonna say, oh, they're NASCARs at Talladega. I'm going to watch Talladega. Those are the kinds of guys kind of interested. Because those, in, in a way, are your most important fans. Those are the ones that that will kind of beef up those ratings or, or whatnot. So, and I'm just wondering, have you heard any – you get any feedback or –
3: no, the, uh, the buzz seems very low, uh, entering the playoffs this season, which is a shame because, you know, yes, there was like a six to eight week window where NASCAR was, was God awful. They had like six to eight weeks in a row that, um, you know, the racing was not exciting. The finishes were, were bad and, uh, it just, it wasn't fun, but. You know, they, it was a good race at Indianapolis, which is surprising to say. And, you thought so. You know, it was obviously Kevin Harvick dominated. It was a, the same old story where it was hard to pass. You can catch the guy uh, who's who's running in front of him, you, but your chances of, of passing him, unless, unless he made a mistake, weren't great. So, you know, as far as, like, quality of racing, it wasn't phenomenal, but... It was entertaining. I was entertained while I was watching it, uh, which is, you know, more than I can say for Indy recently with NASCAR. So, you know, you would think that the way they build this up and everything that they've done, you know, you get the first 26 races, oh, it's all about getting that win, pointing yourself in and all that. And you know, I I was one of the ones that was happy that Jimmy Johnson missed it. Finally, I think the only person happier uh, than I was was probably Chad Knauss, Uh That that uh J. And, J. J. And didn't in. make the
2: playoffs. I know he isn't. And I, I thought they brought that up. If you watched uh, practice yesterday, I thought that was a really good point because everybody said, "Oh, Jimmy missed it. Oh, Jimmy, this. Jimmy, this." You know, tip of the hat, you know tip of the hat to Chad Canales. Yeah, who brought in a uh, not the you know I mean William Byron, good driver, young driver, but very very green. You, you know, let's face it, you know, and that twenty four car is not the same. It's not, you know, the twenty four yeah. car from and, yeah. right. And it, so I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's impressive. I mean, it, you look at who's out, who's on the outside looking in. I mean, there's a lot of people who like to be in that twenty four car right now.
3: Yeah, it was. It, it is very impressive for Chad Canales you know, Jimmy Johnson's going through something now and um you know, he obviously he's got all the trophies that he needs, Hall of Fame, first ballot, you know. Would you be
2: surprised if you got the press release? No, major announcement. JJ uh, retires? At uh no, ma- ma- major, major announcement for the 48 car at Homestead. You know, and then it leaks out. Yeah, would you be surprised by that? No.
3: I wouldn't be surprised you know, when you have reached the pinnacle that Jimmy Johnson had, where he had all the success in the world, was winning championships every single year. When you start struggling as bad as you're struggling now, you know, it is hard to sit there and re- try to refire, you know, that desire within you. Because you're so used to running up front. You're so used to collecting checkered flags and huge checks. And now all of a sudden, ooh, you know, I'm back at square one kind of. Here's the other thing, too.
2: guy is rich. Yeah, he, filthy. He lives the good life. He's a one percenter. Huh, yeah. He gets to fly wherever he wants. And, you know, flip that to David Pearson, Richard Petty, and those guys in the sixties, you know, okay. They had, they had kids now, but it was a different family. The fan, the way the American family was set up was a little different. Yeah. Mom stayed home and you know, dad went out and, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys talked to Kyle Petty and, 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 these second generation drivers, you know, dad was gone a lot. You know, they, they would go to some of the races, some of the, it was a little bit easier for some of the NASCAR guys because in the 60s and 70s, it was still primarily a southeastern sport. Right. You know, they would they would have their little junts up north to New England and that and, and some other stuff. And then Ontario opened up and, you know, then they started to branch out a little bit, Michigan, 1969 and so forth. But primarily it was the southwest, you know, Bristol, North Wilkesboro, Martinsville, all the, you know, and so, and they would go to a lot of those races. But I mean, now you're, you know, you, case in point, twenty one car. We're gonna talk about Paul Menard. I want to talk about uh, that with David uh, Land coming up in the next hour, uh, a little bit. You know, he wants to spend time with his with his family. It's and uh, you know, let, let's face it. I think if you've been doing this for a while, it's not. I don't think it's as fun as it used to be.
3: Yeah, I agree.
2: And racing against some of these guys and how the racing is, you look at, you know, I mean, can you imagine if you get Carl Edwards, Matt Kenseth, I know Ricky Rudd, how his feelings are. Uh, and now Paul Menard in a room, what they would, you know, just see what they say about what, what the Cup Series is today. I think a lot of fans would be shocked.
3: Well, you know, if you threw Rusty Wallace into the race this week, had him drive this car, this package, and then put him yeah. in the room with those guys too.
2: Yeah, you know, you you would say, I, "Yeah, I agree with you guys." Well, you guys, you know, it, it's you know, what do you mean? You hold it wide open? That's what they're doing at Vegas. I know. You know, uh, you know IndyCar was doing that, and it, we're, we're, there's a there's a there's a lot of us saying, you know, that's not really racing. Right, it's bad enough you do it at Talladega and 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 Daytona. Okay, we well, kind of we understand the dynamics of that. Now they're doing it at Vegas and, and 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 you know and they were talking to Steve Letarte, Steve LaTarte like saying, "Well, if that's the case, they got too much downforce. They should be trimming that thing out." Yeah, you're going fast, but you can go faster if you trim it out, which apparently they can still do, I guess, somehow. And that's with the tape in the front and all that. It, but I. You know, it, it it's, yeah, th- that's not a great package right now. You know, and it, it sure there's some pack racing and it looks good in the in the first couple laps, but once they start, you know, it, it's hard. But case in point, you know what? What could have been the best race of the weekend <laughs> it's against last night? Look at Austin Hill. Oh, what I know he was able to do. We'll talk about that in a little bit too.
3: Well, I was but, sitting there, but, Steve. I was thinking about this last week while I was watching Indianapolis because I'm a huge baseball fan as well, and um, I, I love baseball. But today's baseball sucks. It's boring. It's all home run or strikeout, mm-hmm. which is the same way that NASCAR is turning into, where it's all restart and then the point. next restart. Yeah. And you get three to five good laps after a restart. If you're on a short track like Bristol or Martinsville, you might get 10 or 15. If you're on a, you know, a huge track, um, you know, you might, you might get three, but you get a few exciting laps after the restart. And then after that, everybody thins out, nobody can pass each other. They can catch up, but they can't pass. And so then it's like, okay. And you're just sitting there waiting for the next restart. It's kind of boring. So I I am not a fan of this package. I, I like, like you, this isn't real racing. And, uh, you know, it sucks to say because I still watch every single lap every week and and follow all the news and everything like that. I I love me some NASCAR.
2: But I'm loving it less than 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 it was. Well, last week it was Kevin Harvick winning his forty eighth race yeah, cup did, race. Didn't and he tie, second, Tony se- Stewart? Second at Indianapolis. And uh it ties him with actually Herb Thomas for 15th on the All-Star Cup Series win list. Okay, so he passed Tony then, and, and this is impressive. Uh, this is Harvick's second consecutive top five and six top ten in a row at in Indianapolis. He finished fourth in last year's Brickyard 400, and he is uh, he dominated that race, especially the second half. Uh, Joey Logano winning stage one. And then uh Harvick winning stage two and then the final stage. Uh let's see here. I uh, you, you know, I I guess I guess because I'm a bit of a Harvick fan. all right, fine. But what was your was your overall opinion you know, of
3: the race? Like I said, it was entertaining. It wasn't phenomenal racing. I'm a Harvick fan too. He dominated. You would think I would have loved every single lap of it. But, again, Kevin Harvick tried to Kevin Harvick away that race when he sat there and decided to choose the inside lane out of the blue on one of those restarts and gets passed. He was rocking the outside line on every single restart and would sit there and pull out, take the lead, and then extend his lead. So what the hell was he doing choosing the inside? It was like he was just trying to make it exciting – for the fans watching at home and the fans that showed up uh, in the stands, <laughs> and uh, you know, it was just a, it was a total head scratcher. And you are like, you know, Kevin, wh- what are you doing? You know, and it's always something with that team. You know, usually it was pit road mistakes and all this kind of stuff. Now it's him just out of the blue deciding to go to the inside line and and losing the lead for a while. But yeah, a dominating victory. So you know, like I said, was it the most exciting? No.
2: Was it still entertaining? Yeah. Well, is he, he is quoted as saying, "I don't know if we had the best car, but we had the uh, but we had the fastest car. We gave up the lead there in one of those restarts, and we came in and pitted. The caution came out and worked uh, worked our way. Uh, we had given so many just because of those circumstances and the way the caution flag fell today. Uh, it actually worked out in our favor. It gave us control of the race, and we were able to keep control of the race and not make any mistakes. So, you know, great finish for Bubba Wallace." Fantastic! Third place—that's what that team needed. That is a team that you know was lucky to 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 make it you know through the whole season this year with funding and everything, and that that, that goes a long way. And uh, yes, I'm very happy. You know, NASCAR needs that 43 in in the Cup Series, and it was it was very nice to see. They need the
3: 43, and they need Bubba. Mm-hmm. You know, Bubba can can bring the younger generation into the NASCAR fold if they a promote him the right way and be all these old, you know, cranky old ass NASCAR fans. Don't sit there and, and keep coming down on him because he came out and said that he was depressed well, or like was, was struggling with depression and yeah. stuff like that. You know, the, the kid will tell you what's on his mind. He's, he's fantastic as far as all the social media and everything like that, that he does let Bubba be Bubba and NASCAR will
2: reap a windfall of benefit from it. He came out of the car and said, Hey, I guess I can drive because let's face it. There's a lot of people in in social media that just, you know, he's, he's not, he hasn't had a good year. Oh, blame the driver. That's the easiest thing to do. Of course. And you know, let's face it. There's a lot of, there's more have-nots than haves in NASCAR now. Oh, yeah. And especially for that team where they are, and you look at the – there's lots of ebbs and flows of uh, in racing. Look at what Hendrick was going through, and it looks like they've reversed that trend. Even uh, Roush Fenway. Yeah, look at what they are now compared to what they used to be. And if you watch that Wood Brothers documentary from a week or two ago from uh, uh, Dar- you know, when they released their – Arlington weekend I mean they were yeah they were in a world of trouble Eddie you know Eddie Wood and uh, Edsel Ford are really tight and Edsel calls up and says you know hey what what's going on how come you're not calling me Eddie's like I'm embarrassed to call you and he's like well what's going on he says well we're having issues we're we're, we're falling behind and and Edsel kind of took the bull by the horn and said okay we'll give you some help and Ford was able to help him they took a step back that's when they went there took that's when they went to a partial schedule, and they were keen on certain races. So they were able to, you know, kind of take more, pay attention more uh, with certain tracks and that they felt like they could excel in it. It worked for them. Now, of course, when they came out with the new system with the teams and that, and, and the Wood Brothers was on the outside looking in, that was quite embarrassing, you know, but... Yeah, the charter system, the and charter all, system, yeah. and that—that that was embarrassing. You know, well, they're not a full-time team. Well, absolutely embarrassing. NASCAR was. should still be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, for that, that was just that was awful. I just thought that was just so tone-deaf. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't you know. But at know, the,
3: the time, team. NASCAR was.
2: Oh, that's part, and it does. Let's face it. That's one of the issues why they're in the. That's why they're in the position they are today. That they, and they
3: hired team. way too many yes men.
2: So they keep uh, they keep stepping all over their own toes and it's sad. Well let's take a break here. We're going to talk more uh, uh, Brickyard 400 uh, what ha- what occurred in Indianapolis, get some feedback and then also we're going to talk about Vegas coming up next on the final inspection show <laughs>
1: This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan.
2: back to the final inspection show brought to you by the legendary great lakes dragway yes they are open gates opened at eight o'clock this uh this morning for uh the anarchy series so make sure you get out there to see some great great drag racing and the rumors of flooding have been greatly exaggerated uh so i'm sure there might be a couple soggy parts in the grass maybe but uh, no, Great Lakes is open, so make sure you get out to Great Lakes Dragway this weekend. Their it bar is-, is
3: dry, the food stands are dry, <laughs> the seats will be dry. That's all you
2: need, so get out there and enjoy. And it is a fantastic, fantastic day in southeastern Wisconsin, so make sure you get out there. i also like to thank our friends at David Hobbs Honda. Make sure you check out davidhobbs.com for all the the best in new and used vehicles. In fact, we will have David on in the second hour talking some Formula 1 with David Hobbs and what's going on there and uh, some other stuff. What's going on in in uh, Elkhart Lake this weekend along with the Formula Ford series. I like to say hello to everybody up there. Uh, pretty cool, impressive uh, 50th anniversary for Formula Fords uh, up at Elkhart Lake this weekend. So they had, had a chance, heck of a turn-up. Yeah, very cool. They had a... They uh, had all the cars lined up on pit road. They took a cool, very cool photo. That was posted on our Facebook page at TFI, the final inspection show. So make sure you check that out. And Kevin Harvick, your winner at the Brickyard 400, winning from the pole. He led 118 of 160 laps. And uh, not, uh, well, how can I say this? Should we talk about the attendance? Do we need to talk about the
3: attendance? Yeah, because I forgot who wrote it, but he made a a, a very good point when he compared the attendance at Indianapolis compared to the attendance the week before at Darlington. At Darlington,
2: yes. So uh, it is a visual. I understand that it, there is a visual issue there, because let's face it, Indianapolis Motor Speedway seats you know two hundred plus thousand people. Right. Yeah. Out of
3: seats. It fits a very large city worth of people. Yes. And uh you know, so yes, it does look bad when there's 50 to 75,000 people there and uh you know, the places you're you're sitting at a quarter full. But when you look at total amount and and we talked about it the week before where you know, NASCAR goes from a sellout at Darlington to racing in front of nobody at Indiana- Indianapolis. Excuse me. That's not exactly true, Steve. It's not. So, yes, it, it looks horrible from a visual standpoint. It looks bad on TV. If you're watching the race, you got to be like, oh, my God, there's four people there, and uh, nobody likes NASCAR anymore. NASCAR is dying. But when you, you know, take a deeper look at the numbers it actually isn't as
2: bad as here it is i got doug bowles president of indianapolis motor speedway uh this was uh through uh, bob hockrass uh and uh doug bowles president of ims spoke to the drivers before the drivers meeting he said doug bowles told the drivers before the race that the place has 235,000 permanent seats there would be about sixty-five thousand folks at the race today. It didn't look like it. No, it didn't. Uh, but the fact uh, that but the facility is two hundred seventy-five acres, and it is extremely difficult to estimate. Darling- Darlington seats about forty-seven thousand people. So while it was sold out last week, that is about twenty percent of what IMS holds. Not to mention infield uh, capabilities and. Uh, And then he goes on to think, and Pacras goes on to write, I think the whole tire debacle and the lack of a uh, Stewart-Gordon local emotional connection has sapped the enthusiasm uh, for this race more than any other race on the circuit. And if a fan fan is cash-strapped, the fan would rather give up uh, this race before the Indy 500, a tradition for many families. I'm not optimistic about the move to the July 4th weekend will work, but the track hopes it can capitalize on another holiday weekend. Uh, I'm not a fan of running the road course, and and I have a little bit of hope that the Generation 7 car can perform much better, but this will be always a tough place for stock cars. I love this place and enjoy seeing the cup race, even though it is frustrating, and I still believe that racing on an oval elevates the status of NASCAR in the eyes of the general fan. There is no reason NASCAR can't find a way to run at least – The Xfinity or truck race at IRP on another weekend, possibly in May. For NASCAR to work at IMS anywhere there needs to be emotional ties, two drivers in the cars with those watching, feeling their driver and crew chief make the difference. Uh, Just so you know, you will never see a NASCAR race at IMS during May. Right. There would be a riot. Of course. Uh, However, um, yes, the IRP thing really really hurt. Because I went to a lot of those races, those a lot of those truck races and uh, Xfinity slash Bush slash whatever at, at IRP. And those are generally very, very good races. It's a very racy track. It's a wide track and it's a short track. Granted, now, there are factors that are involved with that. IRP is owned by the NHRA. The oval track is the redheaded stepchild of IRP. Everything, all the money goes into the drag strip the oval had been is is basically had a lot of the issues some of the issues that we see with oval tracks especially short tracks across the nation where the infrastructure was falling apart they had a very small uh, very small press box and the infield facilities were a joke i mean dating back to the 60s and not even updated from there there's a little bit of so when you had a lot of the times you would go and then let's say Pick a year, 1999. NASCAR is just cooking. You go to IMS, you do all your press stuff at IMS, which was packed, a lot of press. You still had all the newspapers in and everything, and a good a third of those would go to IRP, and so IRP had to put together like this infield press auxiliary setup, which was uh, basically a trailer. Now, granted, Milwaukee, made, the Milwaukee Mile. Had media trailers for many years uh, before they put in the, the 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 media center in the infield. But it were it was for the time at that time in the early nineties. It wasn't it wasn't that bad, you know? right? But like, the IRP stuff was just a joke. The bathrooms were embarrassing. It was just the infield itself, the roads, everything. It was just awful. If it rained, it just there was no drainage. It, it was just it was really bad. and People were tired of it, and the a lot of the teams, in which at the time were these same cup teams that had Xfinity teams that were poaching all these uh, sponsors. That was one of their events they they could say, you know, come to Indianapolis, you know, and 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 but they would go to IRP, and the sponsors would be like, you know, okay, where's the suites? Well, there are no suites, you know, that kind of thing. Right. There are, but they're you know they're not really sweets. So that's when uh guys like Kevin Harvick was one of them, and Kyle Busch said you know maybe we should move this race to IMS then because it was basically just to take care of the sponsors. Well, and the fans said what? <laughs> and a lot of the fans heard that, and we're like, why do we want to see? We're gonna be there on, on, you know, for the brickyard. I don't wanna go there again. I like going to IRP. It's better racing. It's for the fan experience, for the fan in the stand, it was fantastic. Oh yeah. For everybody else, it sucked. So that's and that's why you have on Saturday last week four thousand people in the stands. Right. Yeah. I mean, just just awful. that's that's even worse. Yeah, that Xfinity race.
3: Well, you know, a a lot of the problem is is when you sit there and you cater to the advertisers, to the big wigs, the big shots. It's got to be gorgeous suites and air conditioned, and um, you got to have you know uh, massage chairs for these guys. Well, I guess what I understand that. that.
2: I guess what I'm saying is IRP could have done a little bit. They could have thrown them a bone. Is I guess what I'm saying. So yes, I am blaming. Those guys for doing that, for pulling the race. But then again, IRP made no attempt to upgrade their facilities. Right. So it was kind of like, you know, FU, FU, guys going after each other. No, we don't have to do this. And I I don't understand why. Maybe IRP saw the writing on the wall. Maybe they thought, well, if we put in a million dollars, we don't know when we're going to get that money back. I don't know. But it just... They needed to, and they still do, need to upgrade those facilities at the Oval, because it is a very viable situation. I mean, it's a viable track. It's great racing, and USAC races are a lot, and it's been around for years, and it's part of the fabric of the, you know, the three one seven, if you want to call it uh, motorsports uh, life. You know, you go to IRP. It's convenient, and it's it it it's a cool place, but just. Unfortunately, you know, it's just not viable right now to many people if to the people in Daytona. Oh, and
3: you can't blame the NHRA because, you know, if you're going to throw money down, of course, they're going to want to do it on the drag strip. uh,
2: Now, here's the other thing, too. And NHRA is hurting a little bit, too. Well, of course. So, I mean, as all as all motorsports is right now. Right. For grabbing for fans. You
3: know, it uh, and. It just, it all comes back to brand loyalty. You know, NASCAR started hurting when it got too big for its own britches and the prices got out of control. The hotels are ripping everybody off, the liquor stores were ripping everybody off. Everywhere you turned on NASCAR weekend things were costing double and yeah. triple what they would on a normal weekend.
2: There's no smoking gun on what's happened since two thousand and eight. There's tons of blame series. to go around. Yeah. There's a series of issues and circumstances that occurred. The same thing with IndyCar. You can blame it on the split, but I'll go around and around with Robin Miller on this. There were issues with IndyCar prior to that that right. were that were gonna uh, that were gonna happen. And we're starting to. And and you could see the shift in 1994 towards NASCAR from open wheeler because there was a lack of attention given to American drivers and they were not growing their drivers. They were not growing American drivers. And guys like Jeff Gordon and that were going to NASCAR instead. And it was starting, I, and if you were in that, See the problem is is even back then, with there, there was there wasn't a lot of cross cross crossing between the two. Right. If you were a NASCAR rider, you were a NASCAR rider. So, if you were an IndyCar rider, you were an IndyCar rider. You followed that series or cart at that time, and you know, working at the mile, you had both. So you could kind of see both sides of the coin. So, but yeah, there's no. NASCAR's fallen because of X. Right. There's a lot of things involved. A yep. lot of things. And and I think Bobby Unzer is, uh summed it up best when they interviewed him uh about five years after the split with IndyCar. He says there's blood on both hands, which is true. I mean both both the CART and the IRL had had did things to you know, not sink, but certainly damage the uh both that, that series, their own series and the other one. So
3: yeah, it uh, you know it's tough, and he, and there's still people that don't come back that haven't come back to baseball since the strike. So you know, anytime you have huge problems like that, and you don't get it figured out in time uh, to save a season, to save a World Series, uh, you know, and you've got two sides just completely bullheaded enough to sit there and try to chop each other's legs off every single chance they got. Instead of trying to find any slice of common ground and come together and come out with the amicable solution that'll keep both sides happy while progressing the sport in the direction that it needs to go. Then you run into problems like, you know, NASCAR has and IndyCar is bouncing back from their numbers are all uh, looking a lot better than uh, than they were, but my problem with the IndyCar season is there are way too many gaps in in their year, right. You know, NASCAR for me is great because I'm dumb. and I know that every single week NASCAR is running on Saturday or Sunday. And with IndyCar, oh yeah, they're running this week, oh, and then they're gonna have three weeks off and they'll be back uh, three weeks after. I'm not gonna remember that, right. I'm dumb put them on every single week but you know when uh with the arrow and all this stuff and how much this sport costs
2: now you can't do it yeah let's take a quick break here when we come back we're going to talk to dennis michelson from uh, d mike media let's get his opinion on uh the brickyard last weekend and uh what's going to happen this weekend in vegas coming up next on the final inspection show Final Inspection inspection.
1: Now, Dennis Michelson of D-Mike Media is here to give us the inside track on NASCAR and the world of short track racing.
2: Welcome back to The Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Yes, Great Lakes Dragway is open. They are now flooded out. They got cars going down the drag strip. Make sure to check them out this weekend. Lots of stuff going on there. And also, David Hobbs Honda. Make sure to check out davidhobbs.com for the latest and new and used vehicles at David Hobbs Honda. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline from D-Mike Media, it is Dennis Michelson. Welcome to the show, sir.
4: Mr. Zucky, always a pleasure.
2: Well thank you. And uh thanks for coming on the show once again. The Brickyard four hundred. Give me uh describe the Brickyard four hundred in one word. I'm gonna put you on the spot.
4: Oh boy. Um underwhelming. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't a bad race, but it just I I don't think they've got the right rule package in NASCAR right now. And all the things that I hear about what is proposed for the next generation car doesn't have me encouraged that they're going to be going in the right direction. Um, You know, I, I get it. The technology is king in racing today, but stock cars should be a little tougher to drive. And there should be air left under the cars. Mm -hmm. And it should be a beast to drive the things. And what I'm seeing now out of NASCAR, and it sort of was the way at Indianapolis, it almost looks like a, a slot car race where, you know, the guys are just so hooked in to the track with all this downforce and such little power compared to their downforce that it just, to me, it's losing a little bit of. What I tune in to watch stock car racing for, which is a little bit of the the physical nature of the sport.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna to toot my own horn here a little bit. Uh, I have uh, my father was the uh, well, not the videographer, the movie photographer at the Mo- at the Milwaukee Mile for many years, especially in the golden era in the late '60s and early '70s. And for the old USAC stock car races, you had the 19, you know, like your '68. Dodge Chargers and your your Ford Torinos and whatnot, and you could see the cars coming into the first turn, and you'd see the driver wrestling the steering wheel left and right. You could visually see the car kind of slide out. You could see a car if it had a push, if the if the car you know the and some cars had you could tell what a push was because the wheels were turned all the way to the to the left, and that car was going straight. So, it you know you, you could you could see. You didn't have to be Junior Johnson to know what the car was doing. You could tell from if you were just a fan in the stands, you know, your, your typical 60s gearhead who changed his own oil, you could tell, what, first of all, what kind of car it was. And second of all, what the car was doing, what the driver was doing. And if the guy was, and you could tell, of course, what the good cars were. And then, then again, you could also tell who the good drivers were. So when you saw somebody like A.J. Foyt, Roger McCluskey, Norm Nelson hustling a car around on that track, you knew, hey, that guy knew it. Look at how smooth he is. Look at what he can do with that car. Whereas if well, you had a rookie out there or maybe uh, a guy with less experience or not as good of a car, you could make that determination. And I think that's maybe a bit what's missing in NASCAR racing today. Is that What, what do you think, Dennis?
4: Yeah, right on the money. And, of course, back in those days, y'all, everybody was running a bias tire, which really kind of skewed it on the track. And I, I remember watching some of the races, you know, as a kid, especially the stock cars up there at the Milwaukee Mile, and every race you could hear the squeal of the tires as guys were just sliding through the corners. It was just a matter of who was out of control less. Yeah. It wasn't a matter of being hooked to the track. And, you know, that's what I fell in love with. Like, I like, love all kinds of racing. Don't get me wrong. I, I love Formula One. I love IndyCar. I love the, the, you know, the old Trans Am type cars. And I love IMSA today. And I love drag racing. Okay, big fan of drag racing. But one of the reasons that stock car racing had a position in my lineup of watching, and usually at the top of that, of that position for watching, was because it was more about the drivers. It was more about the driver's skill. It was more about these cars that looked like they should be out on the street, not some you know, high-tech monstrosity that, that was all about racing. I tune into Formula One and IndyCar because I love the technology. And I love the, the strategy. But I don't want to see Formula One with fenders, and that's what we have in NASCAR today. Those front splitters need to come off. We need to, to give them power. I mean, I'm sorry, but I will always be, you know, bringing up the name of Dan Gurney. Lower downforce, higher horsepower, better racing. That was his motto and it's as true today as when he said it back in the
3: 60s. Yeah. And Dennis, I think that uh, all the technology in NASCAR, the downforce, how easy these cars now are to drive, it has completely killed the, the reason for a 500 mile race or the, or the 600 miler. Because you know, after 100 miles, with maybe one or two exceptions, the cars that are going to be good and going to be fighting there at the end, where back in the day, you would have the drivers who were in tune with their car back, you know, and especially way back when the, when the drivers actually got their hands dirty and worked on their own cars as well, that could sit there and work with their teams and get their, uh, their car remarkably better from mile 100 to mile 400 and put them in a position to take the checkered flag by mile 500. Now, you know, everything is so, it's just, it's too easy. And you know, after a hundred miles, who's going to be fighting for the win? It's boring. Don't you think? The engines are
4: bulletproof. The transmissions are bulletproof. It used to be in NASCAR that it was an endurance race. It was a test of the manufacturer's parts and
0: pieces
4: back in the day. Yep. And it was a case of, you know, a smart driver, you know, like a David Pearson might only be running 80 to 85% of what that car was capable on lap one. He waited until the end of the race after he had made sure that he was going to get it to the end of the race to go. But look at what we saw in the truck race last night. We saw some cars go out, but they went out because of the proverbial, well, you can't call it a 39-cent part anymore. It's about a $175 part, but a stinking oil seal that was mandated by NASCAR, they don't have a choice. They run this piece or they don't run, and so it's basically given, not given to them, but sold to them by NASCAR for lack of a better description because they have no choice about what they run. And it failed on all of the Thor Sport trucks, putting Johnny Sauter out of the playoffs. That's the only way that you have a, a vehicle not make it to the end of a race now is if some little stinking part that is mandated by NASCAR fails. If it's an official part from NASCAR and it just fails, well, you're in bad luck. You don't even have a chance of shopping around to get a better part or going ahead and manufacturing your own piece that would do a better job at whatever task it was that this part was assigned. It's all now a spec piece that you got to buy because that's the only option that's approved by NASCAR or here's the choice of three that are approved by NASCAR. That's it. There's no originality. There is no innovation that gets to go on in the sport nowadays. And I kind of miss the days, you know, it, it would tick me off as an Earnhardt fan when Jeff Gordon would show up at the track with a piece that was, you know, two tenths faster a lap because he out he outsmarted the rest of the field. You know, his crew chief, Ray Everdam came up with a better mousetrap. You know, those days are long gone in NASCAR. I understand why they're gone. You know, I understand why we have a common template. I understand why I can't tell a Chevy from a Ford, from a Toyota from the side. When I was at Indianapolis, you walk up to a car and you're alongside it. You can't tell what it is. They all look the same. It's only the noses that are different. You look at the cars from the back, and if you don't spot the Ford or the Toyota or or the Chevy decal that's on the back of those cars, you can't tell them apart because they're identical. There is no difference to the cars at all, and that removes some of the charm from nascar for me i still like the long races i like the classic events not changing but i also don't like these stages at classic races you know it's it's one thing to have a stage break at a normal race but the brickyard freaking 400 should not be stopped for any reason other than accidents or a motor blowing you should not stop just to score some points
2: right and the same thing with daytona too i just uh, and yeah. I, you know, it's interesting because I, I still have people going, why are they, break? what's going on? They still don't, there's still a lot of casual fans out there that and don't I'll th- understand why they're doing it.
3: I'll throw Bristol in there, too. Yeah. You know, yeah, Bristol, you're very- talking endurance, man. You're cooking around that little half-miler 500 times. You know, you shouldn't get a 15-minute break to catch your breath. And you, you should just it's- go. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah, and, and here's the thing is it's not like with technology they couldn't score the guys at the end of a stage. You know, it's just you know, for a, it's a horrible analogy, but it's like the sprint segments on the, on the uh, Tour de France. They don't stop the race after that point. They just go on and score the points. In NASCAR, they used to give out something more valuable than points at the halfway point. When you raced to the halfway, if you were a smaller team, because there was money to win. There was prize money to win at the halfway point of a race. That's how they kept guys racing in the middle of the race. In the good old days of NASCAR, they paid them. They could do the same thing with these stage points. If they want to do stage points, more power to them. Don't stop the doggone race. Keep the strategy there. But NASCAR is more about... How many cars can we put on the lead lap at the finish so we look better? How many cars can we have within five seconds at the finish so we look better? That's why we got the debris cautions back, you know, years ago, and that's why we get the uh, stage cautions now. It's all about, you know, cooking the stats, and I, I don't care about that. I don't care if a guy wins by 10 seconds. If he won by 10 seconds, that means he was 10 seconds better. Thank God he was 10 seconds better. That, the whole idea is to get away from the other guy in racing. And if you occasionally have a race like you do in F1, nobody complained a couple of weeks ago when the race was won by over 10 seconds. It was applauded for great strategy and great driving and great equipment that won
2: you that big win. Dennis, what's the latest at Make Media, sir?
4: We are hot in the middle of uh, fantasy football season. Lots of fantasy football content over at one of our partners at faketigskin.com, including some podcasts that we do from time to time. And also, of course, on the road with Braden Eaves as we uh, get you to the end of the uh, USF 2000 series with a young racer out of Ohio. We have a, another racer just 16 years old. Uh, that you want to want to listen to this week over at dmikemedia.com.
2: All right, Dennis, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll chat with you next week. All right, guys. You have a good one now. All right, you too. That was Dennis Michelson on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline.
3: Looking to buy a bill, renovate, or refinance in 2019? Look no further. Call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank providing simply local
2: common sense lending to your community Since 1935. Coming up next, after the sports flash at the top of the hour, David Land on the Final Inspection Show.
1: Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Saki.
2: Vital inspection show brought to you by the legendary great lake straightway in union grove along with david hobbs honda and uh, it's going to be a cool second hour it's going to be a hour full of davids all right at, uh, at the second half of the hour i have david hobbs on to talk some formula one with him but before that we're going to talk to david land of youtube who is at a racetrack uh in new jersey i believe welcome to the show david
0: Hi, reporting from New Jersey Motorsports Park. How are you doing, Steve?
2: Pretty good. Uh, then now was a, a, a track that had, uh, you know, they had ARCA there, I think Trans Am Race there. What, what, what's going on with that? What's the status of that racetrack?
0: So right now I'm at an SCCA uh, formula program. Uh, weekend so like atlantic uh, f1600 which uh, some people would refer to as formula ford but that's the official name right. uh that's what i'm doing right now hanging out with uh, charles ante of anti-speed racing so that'll be that's kind of fun
2: is that the car you were in uh, a couple weeks ago no
0: but the challenge cup is here that was a formula v i got to drive a formula okay. v a couple of weekends ago and, and this is an f1600 team but i think the car i drove is here i haven't seen it yet but uh i have to look around the
2: paddock a it's, little bit and it's still in one shape very good <laughs> okay. Thanks. <laughs> ah, just kidding. I Haven't heard that one before. I know. I know. That was a cheap <laughs> shot. Hey, uh, you know, I, I saw I saw your latest video, uh, and maybe a second from latest. And you talk about the Matt DiBenedetto situation and the Wood Brothers, and they also mentioned it yesterday. I, I, I thought it was kind of good that you know people just need to chill out, can't they? When 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 somebody makes a decision. It's not necessarily that person's decisions. There's also it's almost like an onion, especially when a, with, with a series like NASCAR. There's all sorts of other things involved when a decision is made, whether it's a sponsor, crew chief, driver, you name it. And so when they when they were making a change with the 95 car, it kind of sucked. But you know you got a talented driver, and he did land on his feet, didn't he?
0: Well, I've got to tell you, I think I think Matt De Benedetto probably got off the best um, because ultimately you look at that uh, the Levine uh, car; mm-hmm. it's only ever going to be the, the fifth best Gibbs car. You know, I don't think they want to let what happened with Furniture Row happen again, where that car was the best out of that stable. Um, so you look at the Wood Brothers, and you know, in a lot of ways, that's that car is kind of treated as a fourth Penske. So, I, you know, to be honest with you, I think this is almost a better situation than what De Benedetto is in right now, and he's in a pretty good situation right now.
2: It certainly is. And, uh, you know, we were talking in the first hour about, you know, the situation with Jimmy Johnson. You know, would we really be surprised if we heard an annu- a sudden announcement that he's stepping away from the sport, especially with some of the drivers in, in the past, like, you know, with Carl Edwards and now Paul Menard and Matt Kenseth, who, who basically – was kind of, like, told to leave, I guess you could say. Uh, is, is, is this a new breed of driver where, you know, they, you're, you're not going to see a situation like uh, with Richard Petty or an A.J. Foyt who maybe stayed a couple of seasons longer than he should have?
0: Yeah, well, you know, you, you just you see it a lot more now with, uh, with how early a lot of new drivers are brought up. Um, I think I've heard it said by some veterans before, is that you know, there's some drivers, there's a certain era of drivers where they were too young to get rides uh, in their prime, and by the time they actually started to prove themselves, they became too old to get rides. Uh, we, we're kind of in an era now where, where youth is served quite a bit, so like in the case of Matt Kenseth. Uh, you see drivers kind of moved out uh, of, of programs to try to, to bring in younger younger blood. I mean, that's just kind of the way it, it all kind of goes these days anyway. Carl Edwards is a great example of that as well.
2: You know, I shot a note to you about your you kind of did a history on the Brickyard 400 and where it is today. And I thought it was some of your best work. Kind of t- talk us through that. And 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 exactly how they can see that particular video as well as all your other videos, but uh, and how you kind of came up with uh, your information on that because I thought it was fantastic and spot on.
0: Well, sure. I mean, all my content is free to to check out on YouTube. Just search my name, David Land. But um, you know, one of the things that uh, that I thought was Kind of important, and I kind of noticed last year is a lot of people have kind of lost the perspective of what the Brickyard 400 is and why it's a big deal and why a lot of people get so upset about it every year. Uh, you know, I think a lot of younger fans kind of look at it as that event that that's the racing sucks and that nobody shows up. It's like, what? Why do people? Why does this matter to so many people? Why did people debate this so much every year? So I kind of wanted to create a video that kind of talked about the history and kind of put everything together, because there's a lot of stuff out there, you know, kind of from 92, 93, 94, talking about it kind of in the future, um, but there wasn't really something that had a historical perspective, you know, kind of stepping back 25 years and saying, okay, you know, what did this, what did creating the Brickyard 400 do for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? What did it do in the CART IRL war? What did it do for NASCAR? Looking at all those things that that it kind of, it was kind of the linchpin in a lot of ways for a lot of those events that kind of transpired over the next 25 years.
2: Mm, It certainly was. And I, you know, I, the one thing I had forgotten is how much demand that in that first race in 94, what the demand and tickets were, I'd forgotten that that thing could have been sold out many, many times. And I was at qualifying for that. I still say it's one of the greatest qualifying sessions I've ever seen just with, not only the amount of cars, uh, it was north of sixty that tried to get into that event, but also the different drivers, the diversity of the drivers and everything. I mean, from Gary Bettenhausen to Jeff Brabham to A. J. Foyt to Danny Sullivan to even guys like H. B. Bailey and you know, just and then you had some Winston West drivers thrown in there. It was such an eclectic group and it was just and you know, sitting I was sitting in the short shoot between 1 and 2 and, and and low, so I could see the cars coming into turn 1, and they were just 100%, you know, just giving it all. And I mentioned uh, earlier this year about Tim Steele, who was who had a, not the best car, knew he just had to nail the perfect lap and was out of control in turn 1, hit the wall right in front of me in the short chute. Tried to save it in turn two and then crash coming out of turn, you know, crashed at the exit of turn two. You know, it was a 15 second crash, basically. So, I mean, the, that level, the level of the competition back then, it was, and it was it's such a, it had the big event appeal to it. You had to see it, you had to be there. And now it's like, oh, okay, yeah. And I thought, I thought you did a good job of, of pointing out how big that event was. And for not only, just people in Indianapolis or the Midwest but just acro- across sports you know whether it's sports center or even the, you know the, the 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 person that doesn't really even follow racing they knew this was a big deal didn't they
0: well I think I think you know and it's been said by other people than just me but I, I think in a lot of ways it, it was the kind of the thing that legitimized NASCAR because everybody at that point in history knew if they knew racing they knew Indianapolis. And suddenly you have uh, NASCAR, this new series, at Indianapolis, the first time it had happened in in 85 years or whatever it had been at that point. Uh, So this this was such a significant thing. And, again, that's another thing that people don't realize now because there's literally a go-kart race in Indianapolis now. I mean literally every category you could possibly want to race. You can race in Indianapolis if you want to Mm -hmm. back in those days. There was one race, and you had to qualify for that one race. And that all changed with the Brickyard 400. Suddenly you had another opportunity to race in Indianapolis. You didn't just have to run into cars.
2: Yeah, that is certainly true. We're talking to David Land. Uh, make sure you check out David Land, L-A-N-D, on his YouTube channel. And just so many things right now in racing. Um, I was going to talk to you about one, of, and I just had a complete, complete brain fart now there's something other than one of your videos that I had written down here and I cannot find it in my notes. But anyways, let let's talk to uh while well, I think about what I'm going to talk about. Let's talk about Vegas. And um with with the arrow push a great race last night, Austin Hill, I don't know if you saw that, but it, it, you know, we we've all said on the show that the truck race is usually the best race of the weekend at a NASCAR track. And I was just wondering uh, what what are your thoughts on uh coming up on uh, Vegas this weekend?
0: so I did see the truck race. Um, I, I think the big loser out of that, the big winner of course was, was Austin Hill. Uh, but the big loser was Ilmore engineering blowing all the engines yes. up and really screwing over, uh, uh, Thor sport, uh, which was, which was great TV, but boy, oh boy, I felt bad for those guys who didn't get to race for a spot in their championship. Yeah. certainly. Um, in terms of, Oh no, go on.
2: No, I, I disagree. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, just, and, and, uh, it, you know, the, and to have things happening right at the same time, it was it was embarrassing.
0: Yes, um, in terms of Vegas uh, tomorrow, you know, it's so tough to 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 pick. I mean, I think I think it's you know you especially at Las Vegas. I think you look at a Kyle Busch. Um, I, I I I'm hard pressed to think there's going to be a lot of shock in this year's playoff. I, I'm more than happy to be proven wrong. I just don't see anybody. Shocking the world in in you know coming from sit the 16th seed in that thing. I just don't see it.
2: I know what I was going to mention to you was uh, you you talked about the doing burnouts on the bricks. Oh no, yeah.
0: <laughs> boy, that became a big thing last year. It did. Um, it, you know, I, I, I'm just like you know, and, and it's not just me. I mean, it's it's literally Doug Bowles, the president of the Speedway, who's who's told them repeatedly just. You can burn out wherever you like. Just don't do it on the yard of bricks. Uh, I feel like that was a simple request. And, you know, again, a, a lot of people misunderstanding kind of the history and the tradition at Indianapolis or maybe being a bit fine of it, uh, you know, got a bit upset when I suggested that maybe NASCAR shouldn't do that. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I just kind of embraced, uh, embraced the kind of controversy this year and just kind of. Uh, Talked about it a bit more in the lead up to the Brickyard 400.
2: Uh, Can you talk IndyCar in the next segment with us? Sure can. That'd be awesome. All right. David Land will join us for one more segment. We'll talk some IndyCar racing coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with David Hobbs Honda. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline from his YouTube channel is David Land. David, welcome back to the show once again.
0: Glad to be here.
2: (laughs) Uh, this this next week coming up, we're going to have the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey. Uh, first time the IndyCar has been back since uh 2004. And uh, those of us who always enjoyed the corkscrew and everything and the the pass, Alex and Artie and whatnot uh what does uh Monterey or Laguna Seca mean to you coming back in the schedule
0: oh well I mean you mentioned it the past um you know I'm a young enough race fan where one of my very first memories was just looking at Alex and make that move on Brian Herta and it just sticking in my mind and just going holy crap this is the coolest sport you know in the world so you know it means a lot I think uh I think it you know, there is just, you know, that one image of that track uh, that has been so ingrained in, in the consciousness of, the, of you know, everybody who thinks of IndyCar racing, and it hasn't been on the schedule for over 10 years. So it's going to be fun to go back there. I don't know how the racing's going to be, but, um, you know, it, it could be awesome. You never know.
2: And it's, it's a three-horse race for the championship with uh, Alexander Rossi. Uh, Simon Pagenaud gunning for Joseph Newgarden. Uh, Joseph Newgarden, of course, is in the Catbird seat. But uh, what, what, what are you expecting with you know the double points race and everything?
0: I, I mean, I expect Newgarden to win. I think it would be. I think it's really unlikely. Even though you know Pagano and Rossi, those are those are some chargers. The problem is, I just don't think. I think it's like a 40-point gap between uh, Newgarden in first and then uh, Rossi and and Pagano behind. I just don't see many scenarios where Newgarden is going to lose that many points, Uh, even if he has a a a not great day. You know, he's not going to lose the championship. And generally speaking, on the road courses this year, Newgarden has been fairly strong. He's at least been strong enough that, that he hasn't been too far away from Rossi or Pagina when they have dominated races. So from that perspective, um, as long as Newgarden doesn't do what he did in Ohio and crash in the last lap, uh, I think he's probably going to win the championship.
2: It'll be interesting to see if, if you know, Rossi can come in and kind of do what he did at Road America, get a pole and just start building to the lead. You know, you wonder if some tomfoolery can start with some of his teammates kind of slowing down a little bit or doing, you know, working on, you know, I just wonder what strategies between the, between the teams can play itself out.
0: Well, we know that there's an extra car at Laguna Seca for Andretti with Connor Daly there. Um, I don't know if they, I don't think they would play games, but you never know. Um, the one thing that I think they can do, and we know from last season, is that Ryan hunter Ray tends to really turn it on on tracks like this. Of course, um, I wouldn't say Sonoma is totally similar to Laguna Seca, but I mean it's it's close enough that I think Ryan hunter Ray's is going to be pretty strong. We know Rossi is going to be pretty strong. Connor Daly's got a lot to prove. Um, so they're going to have some fast cars, Andretti Autosport. Um, so if you can build a, a points buffer between, you know, let's say Rossi runs away with the race. If you can get Connor or Hunter Ray third and fourth in the race, and you can get them ahead of, of Newgarden, you know, that's that's taking points away from Newgarden. So um, I think I think in terms of strategy, that's what you would hope to happen if you're with Andretti. But, again, the, the Penske team is so strong. Um the one thing that's working, and their disadvantage, of course, is that they have two drivers going for the championship and really only Will Power can can play a buffer or, or move out of the way if he needs to for points. And then, uh, you know, I think if you're talking numbers game, Andretti has it, but again, I just, I, it's such an insurmountable lead. It's going to be really, really tough.
2: Yeah, but well, we've seen it happen before, and, you know, we've seen races where, you know, unfortunately, uh, I know one a couple of years ago. You know, the driver just seemed to pucker up, and it just it didn't, you know, force errors and whatnot. So who knows? It'll be interesting to see. I'm re- really looking forward to it, and I know there's some people that are against, you know, the 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 double points, you know, racing. But I, you know, Indy in the last race of the year. I mean, I I like it. I mean, why not? Because uh, I I don't like, you know. Okay, if the guy's dominating, you know, then I, maybe I may feel the other way, and you get a, a champion that may not be as worthy. But I think any any of these drivers that would win between Pagano, Newgarden, and Rossi, would be a worthy champion in uh, IndyCar for this year. Uh, what, what, what's kind of stuck out this year for you uh, as a surprise?
0: Um, man, I, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll say it. I, I mean, it's turned into a bit of a controversial thing to say, but I think, you know, Santino Ferrucci, who who would have thought that that guy would be, uh, would adapt that quickly to mm-hmm. IndyCar racing and look that good. And, and honestly, you know, he... Sebastian Bordeaux is a five-time champion. Uh, You know, a lot of people forget it because he did it in champ car, but I think those championships are just as legitimate as the ones in the Indy racing at the time, maybe a little bit more considering how many drivers are still around from those days. So looking at it from that perspective, I mean, Santino Ferrucci is beating him most weekends by a pretty significant margin. And I, I think that shouldn't be lost. I think, um, I think he's probably been the most surprising thing because I think a lot of people thought he would have some character issues or just some judgment issues, and he hasn't shown any of that uh, this season. Um, so he's matured as a driver, matured as a person, and been able to really, you know, step on the gas this year.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you know, I, I, we, we had a press thing, uh, junket down in Indianapolis before the Grand Prix. I interviewed him, and he had just got done practicing on the oval, and was like real. I guess his nonchalance uh, of racing on the oval was a concern for me, and I thought oh, this kid ain't gonna make it through the month of May without crashing. And it was impressive. And I ran into him at Road America. I said, "Hey, just to be honest with you, I didn't think you were gonna get through the month of May without crashing, but you really impressed me." And he was like, "Oh, thanks. I really appreciate it." But you know, sometimes, you know, you know, drivers are a different breed, aren't they? And uh, they're, you know, sometimes we can take their nonchalance for uh, arrogance or whatever you want, but I mean, he is a special driver and I think we're seeing it. And you know this is a guy who, yeah. let's, let's face it. I want to say he was forced on us, but I mean, if you watch the F1 races back in the day, you know, they, there was a lot of Santino Ferrucci news and, you know, this is the kid, you know, is he another Scott speed? Is he going to make it through there? And he was making his way up the ladder, but just the politics of, of, European racing kind of bit them, didn't it? And then, uh, but certainly it, it's our gain for the U.S. fans, uh, seeing a driver's quality in the IndyCar series.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you always hear about it. I mean, ever since Michael Andretti, um, in Formula One, anytime there's an American that even gets a sniff of it, you're going to hear a lot of naysayers. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just the way it goes. Um, you know, and sometimes, uh, like Ferrucci, you have them have a pretty spectacular blowout and, uh, you know, makes international headlines and, you know. But, but again, it kind of goes back to that point I made about NASCAR, that young drivers are so valued these days that they're, you know, I think in a lot of ways they're rushed up uh, a lot of times before they're ready to mature into their drivers that they need to be. And then suddenly, once they've been rejected from Formula 1, they get a shot at IndyCar, and suddenly they look like a driver that probably shouldn't have been shunned out of Europe so quickly. It, it, this just ends up being the way it... Alexander Rossi is another great example of that. Uh, you know, a driver that, that, that had a lot of pressure, did actually get the Formula 1 for a couple of races, but when you know when he got to IndyCar, it was like, man, boom, on
2: it. Well, and Colton Herta, who's been so impressive, too, of course, winning... Uh, down at Coda and that, you know, and he was the driver. Everybody was talking about him, Pato Award. Of course, Pato Award has moved on to uh, with Red Bull and and, and, and their uh, development uh, series. But Colton Herta has been so impressive. But I think with Ferrucci, when you compare the two, what's so impressive with Ferrucci is his consistency and, and the amount of laps he's been able to run compared to Herta, which, course, he's had some mechanical issues, not his fault, but that's been so impressive too is, is he's been able to finish all these races and race after race, after race, he looks so good, doesn't he?
0: Yes. um, That is the thing. Santino has had reliability over Herta, No doubt about it. Um, I think Michael Cannon, the engineer uh, for that team has done wonders. Uh, That's another thing that I should bring up is it's Perucci has had a really good engineering team behind him this year. Uh, and again, the reliability has been there versus Herta. I think I think Herta is just as impressive as a driver. I mean, think about how much he runs up front. Uh, just unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, and he has made a few mistakes as well. Um, but but you know, he has mechanical failures, and that's something that that only bit Ferrucci uh, at uh, Portland. I mean, it was the first time he hadn't finished a race, so that was um, that was a unique uh, thing for him that year. And we've just seen so much with Herta this year. It's hard to kind of compare them. You know, fairly uh,
2: based on the reliability. What do you think of Norman and the Borg Warner Trophy? <laughs>
0: I've always I've never been the biggest fan of the dog, of the IndyCar wives dogs or whatever uh, you know Norman's fine um, you know and it's on Simon's trophy right and it's not on the actual trophy so I don't have a problem with it I think I think it's a good little gesture uh, good PR for Borg Warner you know I don't have a
2: huge problem with it. now if they put it on the big trophy
0: then, <laughs> then maybe I'd be talking about it a little bit more but uh, just doing that for the personal trophy I don't have a problem with
2: I think it's good pub yeah they're, they're certainly getting a, Norman is a is a special dog that's a neat dog uh and i want
0: them to put him on the ticket for next year that that is the one thing i do want
2: that that the photo
0: of him barking is that needs to be on the
2: ticket well so much so that my my fan is my my wife has become a fan of simon even before norman and and she actually bought a photo of that one shot him in victory lane with norman barking uh I, I, i thought that was a really cool Cool moment in indie history to to have Norman barking like that in Victory Lane with everybody cheering. That was pretty cool.
0: Yes, cheering along triumphantly as (laughs) his uh, dad wins the Indy Five hundred. Yeah, that was a that's that's one of the iconic shots of the last few years.
2: It certainly is. David, we certainly appreciate it. And how how do we see your videos again? Check me out on YouTube, David Land, D
0: A V I D L A N D.
2: All right, David Land, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll we'll, ta- we'll chat to you, and we'll do a wrap-up of the IndyCar series in the next couple weeks here. No problem. Can do. Can't wait. All right, thank you. David Land joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline.
3: Looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance 2019? Look no further and call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank, providing simply local common sense lending to
2: your community since 1935. Coming up next on the Final Inspection Show, David Hobbs.
1: This is Final Inspection with Steve Zaki. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan.
2: the final inspection show brought to you by the legendary great lakes dragway in union Grove. make sure you get out to great lakes dragway this weekend where they are racing no the 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 rumors of flooding at great lakes dragway has been greatly exaggerated they have cars going down the drag strip so make sure you check them out and if you're in a looking for a new or used car make sure to check out david hobbs at davidhobbs.com. david hobbs honda for your best in new and used cars where No, there's no flooding there either. So, in fact, joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline from Road America at the paddock shop, uh, it is David Hobbs. Welcome to the show, sir. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing Uh, fantastic. Good to be on your show again. Well, thank you. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I take it, I'm making an assumption here, you're with Bert Levy selling a certain book, aren't you?
5: I am up here with Bert Levy in the gift shop in the paddock at Road America. A gorgeous, gorgeous day here. Um, no rain in sight. Hundreds of cars, lots of people. Uh yeah, I'm selling the book Hobbo, my autobiography. And Bert Levy of course is selling the open road and all his subsequent novels and of course the new audio edition of Open Road. So, um having quite a busy day. This so afternoon we're gonna decamp and go into the village because they're having a Concord delegance at the off resort. So we'll
2: be down there later on. Oh, excellent. Yeah, of course, course this weekend at Road America, it is the Aaron's Art on Wheels weekend featuring the VSCDA uh, Elkhart Lake Vintage Festival where they have over 200 Formula Fords this weekend for the 50th anniversary of the Formula Ford reunion where they had a very iconic photo on the pit lane. Make sure you check that out on the Facebook page that, the final inspection and not only that but there's also i hear of an art fair or an art exhibition in downtown elkhart lake too isn't there
5: <laughs> well you're right this morning and this afternoon and tomorrow mrs Hobbs has got her art show on in the yellow house on um, on ryan street uh, you can't miss it. it's right next to the post office and she is doing quite well and um, she had a very busy day yesterday so um, she'll be hanging out there over the weekend and uh yeah so all i'll tell you what this is the place to be steve elkhart lake is where it's all at uh, and, and i closest. saw
2: i i tell you what susan and i saw her latest painting with the horses with the horse racing oh, and yeah. that that is quite spectacular i'm very very yeah. impressed oh, i love that picture yeah it's great very it's really, nice
5: the speed and you you get such a feeling of speed and motion it's um really really neat um yeah, I like that one, yeah. She she did that for a chap in England who owns a racehorse. Oh, okay. Well yeah. He owns a leg of a racehorse or something. So, um and he wanted a painting, so she sent that over
2: to him. Yeah. And but, uh... And you can't even tell they're they're going the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> Last weekend we had the Italian Grand Prix in which you had yeah. the pleasure to participate in and I love that race not only cuz it's a classic race uh, the Monza raceway uh, it's just one of my favorite tracks but also the tifosi I mean it is just that much it just makes gives it a big event and and the the the, the post race the paddock the the celebration and everything and then when Ferrari wins it, it even makes that much it make it makes it that much more special. But kind of give us uh, uh, for somebody who's never been to the Italian Grand Prix, uh, g- give us how how does it feel to the, to participate in that race uh, from the inside? Well,
5: you know, people talk about hallowed ground that when you walk into the Indianapolis Motor Speedway or the Daytona Speedway, and you get an Allemar in France, and you certainly get that feeling in spades when you go to the gates into the Royal, what used to be the Royal Park at Monza, where they have the Grand Prix, and there is just something electric about the atmosphere, as you say. The Tifosi, which is the hordes of Italians who are absolutely nuts about Ferrari, and um, it's, it's just something very special to go into Monza. Um, you can still see the old banking where they used to have the bank circuit. It still exists. Um, it's getting rather overgrown now. Um, and, of course, the track itself is the fastest track in use by Formula One at an average speed of over 160 miles an hour for individual laps. Um, and there's just something about the place that just is magic. And, of course, it's just a sea of red. Red and Ferrari flags. And um, their dreams came true this year, and I just can't imagine... How Charles Leclerc, 21-year-old, comes from Monaco, Monaco, and just really only his second or third year of Formula 1. He won this Formula 2 championship on the way up the ladder, uh, drove for a year, and then got plucked by Ferrari, and, of course, has consistently shown up his teammate, four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel, who had an absolutely miserable day and has never won the Italian Grand Prix in a Ferrari. And in fact, it was the first time Ferrari have won the Italian Grand Prix since Alonso won it in 2010, and um, which is obviously nearly 10 years. And so they've gone through a big drought. Lewis Hamilton and others have dominated the field for the last 10 years. So for the fans there, and Charles Leclerc must be just absolutely... Like on cloud nine, I mean, 21 years old, first year, by winning the race and Sebastian Vettel coming way down the field, he passed him in the championship, so now Leclerc is third. Yeah, he's third or fourth in the championship, Uh, but he's very, very close to Sebastian Vettel, who's had um, two absolutely abysmal races, out in a first-lap crash in Spa the week before, and um, had an incident on lap one, turn one, last week at Monza. Had to come in for a new nose and um, and, and finish the race. But, I mean, what a grisly two weeks he's had. Um, and Mercedes, you know, they did okay. They came second and third. And they knew they weren't going to win at Monza because the Ferraris have suffered this year from lack of downforce. But the one thing that does give them also is a bit of lack of drag so on straight, so very quick, and of course Monza is practically all straight. So uh, and and Leclerc, I have to say, drove an absolutely brilliant race under tremendous pressure from Lewis Hamilton, which he had the week before at Spa, held off the five-time world champion both events. So Charles Leclerc is a guy that you'll be hearing a lot more of over the years.
2: Were we surprised uh, what Renault was able to do and our friend Nico Hulkenberg and and you know they've been struggling all season, but for them finishing fourth and fifth was uh, quite impressive for that team.
5: I thought it was very impressive. Um, I'm a bit disillusioned in Hulkenberg, who I thought was you know I thought for years ever since he was in GP2, which is what Formula Two was called then, I've expected him to drive for a major team, and no one's ever picked him up. And he still hasn't scored a podium in something like 180 starts. Um, And it looks like Ricardo is pretty successfully dusting him off this year. So Hulkenberg, in fact, has been let go. But obviously, he wants to do his absolute best in the last races of the year to make sure he's got somewhere to go next year. But I was a bit surprised at Renault's performance there, yeah. Um, I think that demonstrates, too, that probably part of their problem through the years has been they probably suffered from a bit of a lack of downforce. Which obviously did them no harm at all at Monza with all those straights. The Haas team, the American team, again had a disappointing race. Qualified well, uh, got the latest Ferrari engine, so no lack of power. Um, But they didn't do very well in the race, and um, of course the Williams were dragging around at back as well. They had a bit of a lacklustre time. Um, The Alpha team with uh, Raikkonen and uh, of an had a fairly good day out but yeah Renault really and of course the McLarens have had a terrible time the last couple of races I mean, Lando Norris is lying fifth at Spa till the last lap and um, they didn't have much luck at uh, Monza either um, but all in all a pretty interesting season shaping up I fully expect Verstappen to probably win next week in Singapore um, because the Red Bull Honda with the latest Honda engine um, is quite a potent weapon, especially when, you know, a lot of cornering is required. Suzuka, they'll probably do very well at Suzuka. Um, and USA coming up, no, no. not Hamilton and Vettel seem to have <laughs> had that between them for the last 10 years. Mexico uh, is a bit of a toss-up. And, of course, Abu Dhabi, the last race. I fully expect the, the um, Red Bull Honda to do very well there, too. So I think we've got a very interesting closing scene. It's right? still got six races to go? I mean, it's a long season, doesn't it, until basically well, December?
2: Right. So, um,
5: yeah, pretty interesting races coming up, I think.
2: In Brazil, too which is one of those uh, classic... I guess you could call it a classic uh, uh, yeah, track, player. which... Uh...
5: Yeah. It's a very difficult track to set up for because you've got that massive long uphill straight, mm-hmm. so you need power. But after you've gone through turn one and two, um, and you get off to that, that Pino corner, that you up the uphill and downhill there where there's very tight turns, the old uh, Red Bull should be looking pretty good there. Um and funnily enough, the, the um, Mercedes does quite well on on tight tracks, too. Not quite sure how Ferrari will do that. But, of course, there's lots of time for these guys do. There
1: certainly is.
5: I mean, they, they they change every week, you know, spend millions and millions on uh, improving their car. So, yeah, I think the last few races are going to be, well, not few. I mean, there's quite a few to go. I think it's going to be a very interesting, um, basically, second half of the season.
2: And uh, we're talking to David Hobbs and the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. And uh, make sure you check out uh, at downtown Elkhart Lake uh, if, you, if you can get up there. If you're not able to get up there to the track today and you may be just planning on going up there tonight and then maybe going to the track tomorrow, the art show, uh, which is at the Yellow House uh, right across from the Brown Bear in downtown Elkhart Lake. Make sure you check out uh, Margaret and her paintings for the uh, pop-up art show. A lot of cool stuff in there. I think you'll be surprised. Uh, the the uh, different different paintings that'll be there, and then David, you're you're saying you're going to be at the concourse uh, this evening, yeah, yeah.
5: Bob yeah. Burton, I'll be down there for a bit. Excellent. And um, then yeah, and uh, I'm not quite sure. It just it starts early. I mean, the first one they're setting off now. Uh, some of the older cars are doing a tour of the original circuit up here, which is about seven miles. You know, it goes all around the lake and out into the country and back through town. And then they're going to end up downtown and have their own concourse and be lined up on Lake Street for everybody to look at. And then a whole bunch more cars are going to go down, leaving here at about 4 o'clock. And so they'll be down here like 4.10, 4.15, and they'll be there parking. They were going to use that beautiful green lawn in front of the Osthof, between Osthof and the mm-hmm. Lake. But they're now going to be in the park, the North Park, on the north side of the building. A gigantic car park. They're going to use that instead because two nights ago they had so much rain, and they're just not. They're a bit worried about having all those cars on the grass.
2: Sure. All
5: and right. So it'll be on the north side of the off
2: Fantastic. And then, uh, if they're not able to uh, get your book uh, this weekend, you can still get it on Amazon.
5: You can get it on Amazon if you want one signed. <laughs> Send an email to hobo, H-O-B-B-O, book, or one word, book at davidhobbs.com and they'll see to it that I get the order and uh, sign a book. Very good. And send it off.
2: Well, David, we certainly appreciate it, uh, spending time with us, and I uh, look forward to doing it again t- uh, again soon.
5: Okay, Steve. Always good fun to go on your show, and I know you put on a good deal. And you put a great deal of effort and uh, good luck to the
2: guys down at the dragway too so, thank okay you. thank you and uh, tell all make right. sure you tell bob and burke i said hello so and we'll I will, chat okay. again all yeah. right that's david all Hobbs. Right. Thank, you. thank you david joining us on the great midwest bank hotline
3: looking to buy build renovator refinance 2019 look no further call great midwest bank today great midwest bank providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935 and jeff and i will wrap
2: up the show coming up next on the final inspection show Did the final inspection show Steve Zaki, along with the Polish pipe bomb, Orlowski. he has been quiet this last half hour or so?
3: Well, wow, I didn't want to steal any of the thunder. David Land and David Hobbs,
2: both absolutely on a roll. Those were fantastic interviews. A lot of a lot of news going on. I'm just I just want to make sure that I cover everything. Well, you you done a hell of a job, Steve, like always, and uh, you know
3: it. Uh... It's kind of sad that, you know, you got the playoffs starting in NASCAR and all that. And, you know, uh, IndyCar, they're coming down to the championship and three guys going at it and everything like that. There's tons of great storylines, but everywhere you look, it's all going to be NFL football. <laughs> so the, the racing definitely gets overshadowed this time of year, and it's it's a shame because... Uh, you know, it's it's still going going good.
2: Hey, you want to go on a road trip? Uh, where? Well, uh, Irma, the Indiana Racing Memorial Association and the Bench Racing Weekend are having a get together. Uh, their version of Bench Racing Weekend, which is a, b- a bunch of a bunch of guys get around and talk racing. Uh, what we're going to do? They're having an event Friday and Saturday, which is going to be uh, October. Uh, let's see here. I have this right here. Boy, I just. Uh, I think it's October 26th, I believe. 20. It's the, it's the last weekend in October. Okay. And uh, the, it, it all culminates with on a Saturday uh, dinner uh, banquet with Alan Sir Jr. and Indy, Indy, Indianapolis Motor Speedway historian, uh, Donald Davidson, but there's going to be events all throughout the weekend on Friday night. They have uh, a, a, a kind of a, a sprint car racing uh, night and uh, chat with a uh, Pancho Carter and Steve Stapp along with Dave the King Wilson. They're going to have shop tours and um, uh, tours of the museum mm-hmm. and much more. Uh, Ninety dollars for the whole thing, and it's uh, I've been down there, I've been doing that for twenty plus years, and always oh, a good time. And uh, that's an event that started back in Chicago in the late seventies. With the great uh, Emil Andries and uh, Duke Naylon. That sounds awesome. Yeah, a lot of fun. So if you want to do that, you can check out the final inspection on Facebook for all the details there. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, and Vegas, obviously. Vegas uh, this evening. Wh- wh- what do you think about the them going uh, with an evening race on Saturday? I think that's good. I'm kind of curious. Them going Sunday night. Do you going up against the Eagles and the Falcons? What do you think, uh, pro, yay or nay? What do you think?
3: Well, I think obviously it's a benefit for the fans that are at the race because, you know, obviously Vegas is not a cool climate. So the later you can start the race, the more comfortable the fans are going to be sitting there watching it. And you might be run a better chance of getting more fans out to the track knowing that they're not going to sweat out 800 pounds of water while
2: they're sitting there watching. And it's better for the trucks run a Friday night than a Thursday night. So they're doing the Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. They're doing a Friday evening, Saturday evening, Sunday evening. And if you're going to go to Vegas, why not fly out Monday, right?
3: Of course. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, I like it. I like it. I will definitely have uh, – you know, most 90% of my attention will be on the NASCAR race, very little on on Falcons-Eagles. I don't care much uh, about
2: that game. Uh, you don't have Carson Wentz as your fantasy football quarterback? No.
3: Oh, okay. No, I'm
2: not a big believer.
3: But, um, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I, I, I like the schedule on it. But, again, this goes back to once the NFL season starts, if NASCAR is so hell-bent on not shortening the schedule and trying to wrap up the playoffs before week one of the NFL season like they should. They should run these races on a Wednesday night. Yes. Because Uh, you're going to tell me you couldn't draw the same crowd on a Wednesday night in Vegas that you can on Sunday night? You would absolutely still be able to draw the same amount. The diehards are still going to go out there. So, and I think that, you know, you would be able, especially the first couple years with the novelty of it and everything, uh, a midweek extravaganza, midweek hump day night out for, uh, you know, for uh, dads and moms to bring their kids to the track and stuff like that. And, yes, it's on a school night and all that. But, you know, I I think that uh, you would get a, a good TV rating number. And I think you would still get a lot of
2: people to show up at the track. Kurt Busch, interesting fact, his worst track by average finish is Vegas. His home track. Yeah, 21.5. The next worst is Martinsville, then Indianapolis, Michigan, and Miami or Homestead. I was shocked by that. I was really, really surprised. Yeah. And then you had the best uh, best 10-lap average uh, yesterday at Vegas. It was Kyle Busch uh, with Chase Elliott second, Joey Logano third, Eric Jones it has been quick lately. Fourth Kevin Harvick, fifth Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski, Ryan Newman, who's also been showing some speed as of late. Your buddy Jimmy Johnson ninth, and Alex Bowman tenth.
3: Yeah, yeah, that uh, you know I I hope that tomorrow night's race is entertaining, and I hope that there's some passing for the lead, and uh and that it's not just catch up to the guy in front of you and then wait for the next restart to try to pass him. It uh, you know, like I said earlier in uh, in the first hour, it's a lot like the strikeout or home run only in baseball, where it it gets kind of boring, and they're they're definitely missing out on the uh, mid race action and all that when you're so dependent on restarts to to have a, a decent a decent bunch of laps.
2: And of course, last night Austin Hill uh, winning his third career race after uh, winning the opener at at Daytona. And uh, then you want to have Michigan, which kind of he was struggling until then, and Michigan really helped it out. And then uh, Vegas was a very impressive win uh, last night for Austin Hill. So with uh, so you got Brett Moffat, Austin Hill, Ross Chest Ross Chastain, I think is your big three uh, in your playoffs, and you also have Stuart Friesen, Matt Crafton, who was able to transfer in, and Tyler Ingram.
3: Yeah, you know, don't sleep on Stuart Friesen. I think that. Uh... You know he's had a lot of bad luck this season, and um, I think that you know he he's got speed and he's obviously got talent. So I think that Friesen can sit there and and make a legitimate push to join those top three and and give him a run. Um, predictions?
2: I'm thinking Kyle Busch for the Cup race, maybe Christopher Bell for Xfinity.
3: Yeah, I, I like Bell for the Xfinity. I'm thinking, you know, Kyle Busch. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, Keselowski uh, has himself a good race, but it's hard to pick against the Toyotas. What if,
2: what if like Jimmy Johnson would win? Would you be kind of, if you're Jimmy Johnson, you're pissed about that? Are you like, oh, why couldn't I do this last week? Or what do you I, think?
3: I think he would just be so relieved yeah. that he saved his, his season. And... uh you know i don't think he would be mad at all if uh if he finds victory lane no matter how it happened whether this you know it's rain shortened it's lightning whatever uh active god i think jimmy johnson would be uh overjoyed to uh to take another checkered flag cuz every week it seems less and less
2: likely that he's ever going to find victory lane again He's, i you know you, you wonder you, you really wonder if he's going to be able to do that i just who, who would have thought? You know, if you're, you know, even six months ago, uh, even there, I mean, or a year ago, you would have thought, oh, come on, crazy talk. Do
3: you think that all the youth that's on that team has hurt Jimmy because he doesn't have a KG Wiley old veteran that he can sit there and, and kind of help it's just,
2: him? It's harder and harder as, as you go along, and and I think it's the that that the pencil you, you draw at the top of it just gets narrow and narrow, and it's a fine a fine mechanical pencil you got and it's just if you're just a little bit off yeah i agree all right thanks to everybody that was on the show dennis michelson david land david hobbs appreciate it we'll see you next week on the final inspection show